welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins. I am accompanied by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Ahoy. Ahoy. That's my ahoy. kind of talk. <laughs> ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> a vast, a vast there. Uh, swabby. How are you both? Did you just call Eddie Swabby? I did. Yes. That's not nice. <laughs> he doesn't have a single swab on him. He's swabless. <laughs> I, 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 I sometimes put swabs in my ears when they get you know itchy and I have to get stuff out of them. It explicitly says you're not supposed to do that on the Q-tip packaging. That's true. Yes, I know. Which you're I always think is very violate that. Yeah, and not supposed to put anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. Apparently, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm sure a doctor told me that when I was when I was younger. Yeah, it was some probably some kind of advice to stop poking needles into your eardrums. You fool i wasn't doing that but i I imagine (laughs) that the doctor probably would have encountered some people like that and when i say the doctor i don't mean doctor who (laughs) i i didn't Uh, think you did i could just imagine people now like with some very bad information on how to do drugs trying to put needles in their ears yeah well i they they probably do uh when they get to a certain point but i can imagine john pertwee's third doctor saying what are you what are you doing there joe are you sticking needles in your ears again (laughs) stupid and then he would probably derisively say stupid girl and she'd scream because uh the joe grant third doctor relationship isn't the most progressive uh, (laughs) it is not uh, but there we go. Anyway, uh, we're recording this on New Year's Eve, <laughs> this intro yes. and outro, because we know how to have fun. <laughs> Yay, New Year's Eve. What's, what's, what's everybody doing for New Year's Eve? Uh, I am going to a 20th-themed party, which is basically all of the parties around here, it seems. Yeah, that's what... I had two options tonight, and one of them was my friend's. 20s theme party um which i did want to go to but then my friend's band is playing at a local bar and two of the band members are well one of the band members and his girlfriend are crashing with me afterwards so i figured i should probably mm. go to that so that you know we all get home at the same time that makes sense well it's already evening here so that gives you the answer <laughs> that what i am doing this new year's eve is recording the intro and outro for the Odex pathcast uh, after which i will probably be reading a lovely book about leon trotsky wow that is matthew, that is not a sentence i expected to hear matthew knows how to party well uh the best kind of party is the communist party and i believe that <laughs> Uh, 2020 spells the the dawn of the fifth international and the uh, coming permanent revolution that needs to sweep across Europe. No, uh, I'm just, uh, I've always been very interested in uh, Russian history, especially Russian history of the 19th and 20th centuries. It's, uh, uh, there's some awful moments of brutality, but also I, the, the political, uh, I guess dynamics of that country are quite unlike anywhere else in the world for the last two centuries and yeah trotsky is quite an interesting figure happy new year everybody we're talking about trotsky yeah. <laughs> hot to trotsky here on the onyx Pathcast. Oh. oh very good i'm sure he would appreciate that wherever he is now right. anyway uh all trotsky and other bolsheviks aside <laughs> 
Uh, have what have the two of you been up to over the Christmas break? Uh, anything, anything worthy of note for the listeners? I finished Any editing. Hun- I finished editing Hunter the Vigil TV. Ooh, Ooh that, that is going a big thing. back to its developer, so that's exciting. Um, I yeah. know that's something that a lot of people are excited about, looking forward to, and everybody you know who follows the blog and who listens to this knows about my editing pile up that is now mostly getting cleared, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, I know I just sent some books back to various folks today. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 getting there. Um, past that, I did holiday stuff with my boyfriend. Um, you know, that was fun. Did did presents, watched movies, went to Longwood Gardens in Pennsylvania for the lights. Yeah. Well, that sounds that sounds perfectly pleasant. And what about you, Eddie? Um, it was pretty low key. Uh, similarly, we had a um, Chinese Lantern Festival here in Atlanta, so I went to go see that, and um, went to the zoo once, and uh, read a Irish absurdist novel. Um, played. I was gonna sit. I said, you know what? I have a, I have a little bit of time. I sit down and get like a nice 40, 50 hour RPG and sit down and maybe play that over vacation. So I was like, maybe I'll play The Witcher Two, or maybe I'll play this. And I ended up playing Letter Quest. Almost the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Letter Quest. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Letter Quest is basically it's kind of like an RPG. Basically, you spell words to do damage. Um, it's not a deep story, but you get to play a cool little Grim Reaper with a scythe and beat up monsters by spelling obscure words at them. So, do you? Do either of you remember Typing of the Dead? Yes. Yes. Uh, what a fantastic concept that was for teaching people how to touch type. Really I'm was. sure that I mean, wasn't the, it. Wasn't the only purpose of of making House of the Dead two a typing game, but I think it was really novel. There's apparently um, this a, a tradition of, of Japanese companies making learning based versions of existing games. Hmm. Um, because one of the presents I got for Christmas was um, a, 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 a Chinese version of a Game Boy. Um, which is loaded with 500 games that are all totally, completely authentic and not at all ripoffs. Of course. Um, but I had a whole bunch of uh, of Nintendo era games on there, but they were all like the learning version. So like they had the Popeye Nintendo game, but as a, as opposed to the Donkey Kong style gameplay that it normally had, um, it's actually turned into like a Hangman style game. We have to guess the words, um, which is really hard to do when it's still in ch- Chinese. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> so um, the video game podcast that I've recommended a couple times, How Did This Get Played, where they right. do weird and, and absurd video games, um, they actually did an episode on Typing of the Dead. Uh, and it was a really good episode. And part of it was they also looked into all the different word combinations and words that could pop up. And some of them are just very strange. Uh, that was another, I think it was like right around their 17th or 18th episode. If you want to go give that a listen. Mm. If, I if think I, I probably will. Yeah, it uh, was a fun episode. I, I remember distinctly going up against the magician boss. I guess this was probably somewhere like 15 years ago and tune my balalaika coming up as one of the uh, w- <laughs> sentences <laughs> you had to type in rapidly. And uh, yeah, knowing instinctively how to spell balalaika is not a talent I possessed then or probably now. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever heard that word in my entire life. It's a, a new uh, word. It's an Eastern European, uh, I believe, guitar-style string instrument that you sit down to play. Like a sitar, I think. That sounds right, yeah. Mm. Okay. 
Dixie learned yeah. something on the podcast yeah. this week. Well, we've all learned something. Eddie earlier today taught me what a parlor LARP was, as opposed to, yes. I guess, uh, any other kind of LARP. And, Buffer, uh, LARP, or Nordic yeah. LARP. Yeah, and uh, now we know about Balalaikas, so 2019 still has something to give to these three hosts. So weirdly, it turns out I had looked up Balalaika in the past, because I just Googled it on my phone, and it was like, you've looked this up before. And then I saw the picture <laughs> and realized that that is the stringed instrument that the main character's co-worker plays in the first season of the Netflix series You. Ah, wow. <laughs> Which I rewatched recently because the second season dropped on the 26th of December. So This has been a, a, an intro of deeper cuts than usual. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't expecting this. I once worked with someone who was on one hand very proud but also quite lonely because she, she played the flugelhorn. Uh, that was what that was the single instrument she had learned to play during school, and she ended up joining a band, uh, you know, a brass band, obviously not a rock band, uh, playing the flugelhorn exclusively. But she always had this sort of sense of, well, this is a little restrictive, isn't it? This uh, highly specific instrument because she couldn't really relate to anyone else in the band. Uh, so I guess the the ennui of brass band players. When when we do our next uh, create six RPGs in a in an hour, we'll have something like the ennui of brass band players. Well, as a former trumpet player, I will help develop that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, we're already we're already uh, working as a team into twenty twenty. As for Speaking me, of loneliness well, and ennui. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, all right. Uh, well, as for me, what I did over Christmas was mostly spend time with the family and the extended family. Lots and lots and lots of family. And you've got to love your family, haven't you? Uh, no, uh, I, I, do lo- I do love my family. I get on with them very well. Um, but in terms of gaming, I have been playing a lot of uh, this war of mine, the board game. Uh, and oh. now I haven't actually played this War of Mine, the video game, but some of the people I've been playing with have. And they say that the board game perfectly replicates the video game experience, except it's more, it seems more jarring. Uh, it's set in a fictionalized Balkan country uh, where you are civilians in a sort of uh, penned-in zone of a city that's being constantly bombed in the middle of a civil war. You've been trapped there for the best part of a year, and so resources are low. And it's uh, kind of time management, resource management. You have to leave the house that you're holed up in every single night to sort of scavenge for resources, but you might have horrible encounters. Meanwhile, you always have to leave someone back to guard the house because raiders will come along. And um, the book comes with a big sort of directory uh, much like in Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and the uh, Arabian Nights uh, board game. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, where you've got over, I think, 1,800 separate scenes that you could go through in this game based on which characters you've got, wow. where your characters go, how they interact with each other, that kind of thing. So it's really quite quite fun, but also incredibly miserable. Uh, we've not got <laughs> past Chapter 2 yet uh, because our characters keep either killing themselves, walking out into the night and never returning, or being dragged off by the army and being shot. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, uh, it's we a had one game. Yeah, we had one character left, Pavel, who was the strongest character, an excellent uh, character, I found, and uh, he was the only person left in the house. 
and we knew that we'd have to go out during the day to recruit someone else, uh, well, try and find someone else to shore up the house because there always has to be someone awake to man the door. Um, and uh, the army sent flyers around, and uh, the flyer basically said, if you are suffering any kind of illness, leave this mark on your door uh, because we will offer you treatment. And this is a rare sign of generosity from the occupying army. And because Pavel had one dot of illness, which is no, by no means major in this game, and he was the only character left, we'd, we were really getting on quite well in the game. We thought, we're going to chance it, because we don't want him to get more ill with an epidemic going around the city. So we left the mark on the door and uh, went outside during the day, hoping to find someone else despite the risk of snipers taking his head off. Unfortunately, we didn't find anyone, but the snipers didn't hit him, and then the army turned up to pick him up. And because he had a single dot of illness, they took him to a camp, <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't just execute him, thankfully, but it was so overrun by people that the plague spread, and pretty much everyone there, including the doctors and nurses, just died. Oh, my God. So, Merry Christmas and a Happy <laughs> New Year. <laughs> What you're about to listen to is my design diary for Cults of the Blood Gods, which we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, despite the fact the Kickstarter is still ongoing, uh, we've well exceeded 300% funding. We've exceeded $100,000 funding. We have funded so many stretch goals. It is so almost good, obscene yeah. at this point. Uh, but we are so incredibly grateful for the support this book is getting. It is testament i think to the fervor with which vampire fans appreciate and anticipate new books but also uh, a testament to the the strength of i guess if i do say so myself the kind of kickstarter model we have that releasing the manuscript day by day really encourages and engages the fans to interact and provide feedback ongoing mm -hmm. and you can see it on our forums on discord even on facebook people just talking excitedly about what was released in the last couple of days so i think it's really worked incredibly well for this book and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing where the game goes but with that said I'm going to be launching now into the design diary, so look forward to listening to me for around 50 minutes <laughs> and no one but me. <laughs> it is early 2019. We are at the cusp of a new book being written. A new bloody blood book for Vampire the Bloody Masquerade Blood. Cults of the Blood Blood, Bloody Dark Shadows and Blackness Blood, Blood of the Gods, Vampires, no, V5, Cults of the Dark Blood, better, V5, Bloody Blood, Cults of the Blood Gods. That's it. That's what we'll settle on. Cults of the Blood Gods. Hello, listeners. Welcome to my very first design diary for any book, really. And I'm recording this. Hail and hearty. Who knows? I might be dead by the time this goes out. That'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Hail and hearty. <laughs> 
in the beginning of 2019 to discuss and I guess go along for however many months it takes the development, the writing of uh, Vampire the Masquerade's Cult of the Blood Gods. Cults of the Blood Gods, I should say. There are more than one cult. And this book is going to be a rather exciting project because it's something I've wanted to do for a very long time. I'm a huge fan of exploring religions in role-playing games. I think they add a an element of focus for games that is, of course, largely ephemeral, spiritual, and it doesn't necessarily have to wrap itself up in politicking and combat. It allows for a great deal of introspection, but also provides a hierarchy uh, distinct from the Camarilla, Sabbat, or Anarchs. And Cults of the Blood Gods is our opportunity to explore things like the Mithraists, uh, the Canite Heresy, the Bahari, and other such religious groups within Vampire the Masquerade. My aim is that it will be around 150,000 words, that we will get it on Kickstarter, that it will be a book as popular, if not more so, than Chicago by Night, uh, which was recently kickstarted as of time of recording. And yeah, uh, I have some high hopes for this one because my intention is to hire a very diverse team of incredibly talented writers, some new, some established, for a mixture of setting and system. And well, this is all rather early on in the process because I've not even sent the outline off to White Wolf yet to get it approved, so I may have to re-record this to say, ah, these ideas aren't going to come to pass. But hopefully that will allow for an interesting insight for you, if I keep this in, uh, on the development process, how these books get put together, how the approvals process works, and also when we have to cut material. While I'm not going to labour any points, or I certainly don't intend to, about material we've had to excise from the book, uh, what I do want to do is show you that it isn't always the first draft that you end up seeing when it comes to Kickstarter manuscript or the final PDF or the printed version. Far from it. Work gets changed. I'm not going to spend my time wishing any of that material gets retained, if indeed any of it gets cut, because there's no point doing that. It's always best to make a book as lean as possible and as punchy as possible, and that often means cutting material. But what I will do is explain why some material makes the cuts, why some of it doesn't, the material that excites me as writers submit it, the material that I feel needs questioning. Any of you writers who listen to this, this is not ever at any point going to be a crucifixion, haha, I guess, because it's a religious book. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is sometimes going to examine work you've submitted and I will sometimes question it. And it won't be any different to how I question it in red lines to you. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be personal and I will avoid naming any names because that would just be rude. Anyway, the big idea with Cults of the Blood Gods is to provide an introduction for the Giovanni in V5. So, the Giovanni are one of my favourite clans. The Cappadocians, one of my favourite clans as well. It should be Cappadocians, by the way. I don't believe the Cappadocia had the soft C sound. So, when it's transliterated into Cappadocian or Cappadocia, it should actually be Cappadocia and Cappadocians and Cappadocius. There's your little lesson for today. Anyway, 
so far, that clan hasn't been detailed in Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. And they're one of my favourite clans. And just as I petitioned to get the La Sombra introduced in Chicago by Night, I am going to petition to get the Giovanni into Cults of the Blood Gods. However, I already know that we're going to be changing the clan name for the Giovanni. The Giovanni will still exist, at least as far as my proposition goes, as will the Cabadotians, as will the Harbingers of Skulls, Samity, and such. But I want them to fit under one bracket, uh, known as the Hecata, the Clan of Death. My reason being, uh, each of those clans possess a facet of a fantastic vampire concept that ties into vampire mythology, much like the Ventru do, the Gangrel do, the Bruja, the Toreador, and so on. But on their own, they make for some quite stereotypical vampire types. Now, there's plenty of players who will prove me wrong, and storytellers the same, and writers too, but... They have always had the problem of being death-obsessed scholars if they're Cappadocians, revenge-fueled Grim Reapers if they're Harbingers of Skulls, uh, voodoo priests if they're Samdi, and mafioso if they're Giovanni, and we need to get away from that. So the Hakata, pr- pr- uh, the Hakata prospect that I am putting forward will hopefully enable them to do that. I've laid the groundwork for it in Beckett's Jihad Diary, so let's hope that White Wolf liked that and they want us to expand on it. Uh, You should know that the Hecata name has already been decided on. I had uh, discussed it with White Wolf back when I was working on the V5 core, and that was a name that went through a number of iterations. And here's your first insight into, I guess, the behind the curtain of Cults of the Blood Gods. We went through a whole raft of names for the Hecata uh, to change them up for V5. At first, I was just calling them the Clan of Death. And I believe up until the at least the first edition of the V5 core came out, I think they were just called the Clan of Death and, and in the same sentence, it was the Clan of Death and the Ravnos. That was how I remember it. Anyway, may have changed. But then we decided shortly after that, no, we're going to call them the Hecata. In that interim period, here were some of our other options. We had the Familia Mortis, Familia Dispeta, the Mortia, the Disarchs, the Mortum, the Plutoon, Hades Get, Hades Sons, the Hadearchs, the Familia Erichthos, uh, which we obviously didn't go with because there's a character of that name in Chicago by Night, and... Um, we started looking at other names, like the Roman name for Hecata is Trivia, but the Familia Trivia didn't really sound right. So myself and Ken Height were throwing names backwards and forwards, and in the end, I went for I really liked the the Cadis, the Cadis, which is uh, Latin for slaughter or Cadians, but it didn't really, as you can hear from the way I'm pronouncing it, Cadians. Eh, not everyone was going to enjoy the pronunciation of that. In the end, we went for Hecata, because Hecata is a goddess of death, and it also implied a an historic uh, origin for the name, and that maybe before the Cappadocians were associated with the region known as Cappadocia, after all, Cappadocius is only no, known as Cappadocius because he is of Cappadocia, that they may have been known as the Hecata. I know that the historical timelines may not line up, But that was the idea. So now, what I have to do is send this outline off to White Wolf and hopefully get it approved. 
And if they do, we will... You'll join me back, I guess, when I'm talking about apportioning sections of the outline. So I'll be back soon. Welcome back, listeners. We are now at the stage where the outline has been approved, and I have to allocate assignments to writers. So I'm not going to do where last we left off, because I'm just realising that you're going to be listening to this in pretty close sequence. We might add a dum-dum-dum, cha-cha-cha, between each section. I don't know whether I'll do that or not. I may do some nice editing so that we don't have to. Maybe I'll add some other suitably dramatic sound effects, like a slide whistle or a record scratch. Something like that. Hmm. I guess, when when am I going to edit this? Anyway. Outline's been approved. Hooray! Uh, White Wolf like it. They requested no changes. So what that means is we are going to go ahead full steam. And that means I've got to select my writing team. Now, it's always very important to me as a developer that the writing team is diverse. I've made mistakes in the past as a developer where I've hired teams that have uh, all been all been white men, uh, <laughs> all white heterosexual men. And it's a very easy mistake to make because, quite frankly, there's an awful lot of them, especially in this industry. But there's a huge benefit to hiring a diverse team, not limited to the fact that it's a decent thing to do. The fact that you are going to gain from having so many voices of so many different origins, backgrounds, with stories to tell uh, by hiring diversely that you'll never be able to by not doing so. So, Cults of the Blood Gods, I'm aiming to have, let's see, I think we'll probably aim for around, uh, at my current count, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, maybe 12 writers on it. And that's about average for me. We are going for a 150,000 word book. And that may sound like a lot of writers, but I have a general principle when I develop large books. And that is I prefer to have writers start off with small word counts and then let writers drop off the project. Because inevitably at least one writer will. And that means you've got plenty of writers to pick up that slack. Or you can assign the lost word count to a new writer uh, without much fuss. Whereas if you do 150,000 words and you hire two writers at 75,000 apiece, one of them decides one day before the deadline, I can't do this anymore, you're left holding a 75,000 word bag of fun. And either as the developer, you've either got to write it yourself or hire a writer to do so. So I'm going to take you through the outline for this book. I know you can't see it, uh, which is your loss, but I'm going to tell you some of the things I incorporate into an outline. So, for instance, uh, here's the initial brief on the outline. On one side you have kindred extracting themselves from their Methuselah's grasps, on the other vampires flock to these ancient canites in acts of worship, building cults and priesthoods dedicated to their veneration. While the Anarch movement pursues their Gnostic ambitions and the Sabbat worship Cain or Lilith, the Camarilla builds cults dedicated to Mithras, Baba Yaga, and Menel. Steadily, the Ivory Tower acknowledge their servitude to the Elders. Meanwhile, the Hecata, once, once known only as the Clan of Death, 
build the greatest doomsday cult of them all. So I've got some plans in mind here uh, for some of the cults that we're going to see profiled. I've just mentioned some of them. Uh, I've got goals for this book. Let's see how well we keep to them as the manuscript's being released. Cults of the Blood Gods, this is goal number one. Cults of the Blood Gods is the first religion-themed book for Vampire the Masquerade, excluding State of Grace, of course, and the Canine Heresy. Uh, so we need to treat both real and fictional religions with respect and seriousness. No cackling cultists with uh, ridiculous rituals here, as most of the vampires in these groups are going to be neonates or antillae, still deeply connected to their humanity. Goal number two. Cults of the Blood Gods will present a number of biographies of mythological Methuselahs and Antediluvians, but with no stats. These characters must be more apocryphal than present in person, therefore any presentation of them needs to be at such a remover in a concept sense. So, here's their army, their influence, or similar, and here are some chinks in the armour. As to make them enthralling elements of the setting. Make these characters plots all on their own. With ways to destabilise and potentially destroy them. Number three, the Hecata encompasses a broad church, with our main focuses for this book being the Giovanni, Cappadocians, Harbingers, and Samadhi. If we can fit the Nagaraja and Lamia in as well, that would be fantastic. We need to present these groups as distinct but working in a loosely unified capacity as one of the two independent clans in this edition. Uh, I will make an aside here to you listeners, I don't know the status of the Ravnos at time of recording. What are their objectives? How do they function in Camarilla and Anarch domains? We need to avoid the problem these clans and bloodlines fell into in previous editions and still make them appear as part of the wider vampire mythos. That's vampire mythos outside of Masquerade. Gone are gangster goths and grim reapers find reference points outside the game to shore up their metaplot weaknesses. The dis- uh, here's goal number four. The disciplines formerly known as Necromancy and Mortis are now part of the larger Oblivion discipline shared by the La Sombra. Where does it differ for the Hecata? Most of the powers that used to fall under the neck more bracket, that's Necromancy and Mortis, are now rituals in the same style as Blood Sorcery. You will need to create the same kind of diverse set of powers as the Tremere, but with a dark arts angle. Question 5, worth reiterating... It's not question five, it's goal number five. If this book goes well, and I think it will, it'll open up a whole new way of playing vampire. In the past, cultist kindred were mainly seen as the purview of the Setites. As we've pointed them elsewhere in this edition as the Ministry, we're opening up a wide range of play possibilities. Golconda, the Beast, Blood, Ancestors, Eternal Life, Transcendence, all and more come as possibilities for cult-focused play. Books' key reference points are books like Knight Heresy, State of Grace, Follows of Set Revised, Clan Book, and the various Giovanni Chronicles and Clan Books, but none cover quite what we're doing. We need to show an exciting new opportunity for play in this book. We want to evoke a mood with our grim text, get familiar with eroticism, horror, corruptive hierarchies, and cultist grime. We want to explore them all. We will be covering abuse and subjugation, but not as an afterthought, but as a focus, and so we'll be utilising at least one author who's an expert on handling that subject matter. I have high hopes for this book. We're going to delve into some dark territory. Cults are not fun. They are horrifying. If that's not motivating text, listeners, I don't know what is. And that's going to be going out to all the writers that I am intending on hiring. Some may decide that this book isn't for them. Some may find that they have too great a word count or they are overcommitted elsewhere. But that is my objective. We've got a long long 
outline here. It's 19 pages. That's fairly long for my uh, uh, my books. But I'm having a little bit of... Uh, I guess I'm wanting to exert some control over the content of this book. I can't just have it being purely creative freedom on the part of the writers, which may sound restrictive, but my reason being that a book as large as this is going to be a tentpole for V5. I need it to hit a certain direction. This is the first religion book. This is Deities and Demigods for Vampire the Masquerade. So it needs to go well. And... Plus, the less work I have to do as developer at Redlines and after final drafts, all the better. So our current chapter-by-chapters are... We'll have some fiction at the beginning. We'll have an introduction, written by myself. We'll have a Rise of the Methuselah Cult chapter. We'll have Kindred Religions, uh, which will be our largest chapter. Uh, that will cover our Mithraists, our Bahari and so on. Cult construction, uh, how to build cults for your game of Vampire the Masquerade. The cult of death and undeath. That will be establishing the Hecata, the many faces of death in V5, their history and what they're up to in the present day. Then we have a chapter on playing the Hecata, much like the La Sombra chapter in Chicago by Night, and Oblivion being their discipline. We'll have Mortal Cults, which establishes how mortals develop cults to follow vampires, how the herd acts. I imagine that could get into some fairly nasty territory. We'll have lore sheets that tie into, hopefully, lots of the uh, various bloodlines and histories of the various uh, cults and the Hecata that are introduced in this book. And then we'll have a lovely chronicle or story to go in the back of the book, around 20,000 words in length. So it provides a lot of options. That's the intention. It will be interesting to see how much of that holds up after first draft and after I've had meetings with the writers. We will have to see. Some of the interesting writers I've got on this, I've had a... Again, I'm not going to name names, not because I don't want to give them credit... I'll, I'll name I'll name them. I'll name some of the ones I know for sure are going to be on this because I've already checked in advance. I've got some real established hands on this book because I always find that's helpful. It's good to... Then they don't necessarily act as co-developer, but when you operate a team out of Slack or another communications program like Slack, it's good to have writers there who can step in as a second or as as a rallying point, as an idea for creative energy. That's what the developer can do, but it's also something the writers can do. And when you've got reliable writers who can do that, that's a brilliant thing to have. As examples, I've got Eddie Webb on this book, and I don't think anyone on this book knows Vampire quite as well as Eddie. Uh, probably... Eddie and I could have a fight over it. Maybe we will. Uh, got John Burke and Jacob Burgess. Now, the reason I mentioned John and Jacob is because the two of them, they love... Well, John loves the Giovanni. Jacob loves the Cappadocians. I know this. I've already checked with them. Would you be interested in being on Cults of the Blood Gods? And they both just said yes almost immediately. And Or, in I think Jacob's case, he said, when there is a book about the Clown of Death, please ask me to be on it. So, I know that they will be excellent, very well placed to write their respective content. 
there's always a risk, and I'll say this quite up front, there's always a risk with hiring fans of a certain concept to work on a book because they can be self-indulgent, they can be gratuitous, they can put their favourite characters in doing really cool heroic stuff, and it can really break the tone of a book. I'm aware of that, and I'm confident that John and Jacob are excellent hands who are professional enough to not do that. But let's see whether my expectation <laughs> holds up. Uh, into the development of the book. Uh, who else do we have? We have on this book two, a pe another few people I've checked with in advance. We've got uh, Lillian Cohen-Moore, who uh, comes with a fantastic background for writing this kind of material. has been really good on Wraith the Oblivion too. Uh, Rachel Wilkinson, she'll be writing the Chronicle for the book, uh, the story, uh, and I've got to discuss with her how that story is going to fold out because I like the story to generally be at a concept level the uh, the writer's idea and then I'll help shape it with them we also have Jacqueline Brick and Steffi Devan and those two as well as being again tried and tested hands both have a fantastic reputation of being able to handle sensitive subject matter in an intelligent and well well-handed fashion so i am very confident with how this book is going to come together i've got some other writers i need to approach and discuss with them what they would like to write for it so yeah i guess we'll see how that goes i will come back on once i am i guess deep in the weeds of first drafts dun 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 ah Welcome back. I am here for another Design Diary session of Cults of the Blood Gods. It is late. But here I am, recording a session. Uh, we've had meetings, me, the writers and I, I should say. We've had meetings, and we have shared a lot of very good ideas. And I'm here to tell you about some of those ideas that are being incorporated into first drafts as we speak. So, here's the good news. All of the writers were happy with their allotted assignments, both in terms of word count and in terms of the sections of the books they were writing. That is practically unheard of. Usually there'll be someone who says there's too much words, or they'll say that they don't really feel they are acquainted well enough with the uh, canine heresy to write about them. But, in this case, that hasn't happened. Everyone has just, well, dove, dived, divin, straight in to their subject matter, and everyone's being so enthusiastic. I love having a Slack channel where the writers are so readily communicating with each other, sharing ideas, exchanging criticism as well, constructive criticism, that's always incredibly useful, and we're getting all of that. I wanted to share some ideas with you, and one of the most exciting ones, right off the bat, is Eddie Webb, who, of course, you all know, because you probably heard him in the introduction, uh, is has come up with a way of making bloodlines distinct from lore sheets. My initial premise was that bloodlines would be uh, the same thing as law sheets. Essentially, you would choose a law sheet, so you'd be a Hecata with a Samdi law sheet, for instance. But he has come up with an idea which essentially makes them a bit more akin to backgrounds. They're still in the law sheets section of the book for now, because, after all, he is writing both law sheets and uh, backgrounds, but 
I think we will probably be able to make these uh, Bloodlines backgrounds distinct from law sheets enough that you'll be able to take both a law sheet and a Bloodline. And I think, because I've checked with White Wolf, that they will be okay with this. They rather like the idea. Uh, having discussed it with Karim at uh, White Wolf Paradox, he is really enthusiastic about what Eddie has put together. So kudos to Mr. Webb for being a really fantastic creative designer. I can't go too deeply into the detail of it right now just because I don't know how much of it's going to hold up uh, when I come to playtest it because I always like to playtest material and I have a lot of gaming groups around me who are always very eager to playtest material. So I think they uh, they feel they've lucked out somewhat having me nearby because it means they get to play a lot of games that are in development but they are always fantastic for providing uh, good, solid feedback. Anyhow... We've also had some lovely meetings uh, to, as an example, I've had an excellent meeting with John and Jacob about the cult of death and undeath being the Hecata and their primary faces. And whether we wanted to make them the typical triune-faced uh, cult, because we know that humans are triune by nature. Every, they love things in threes. Uh, trinities, triumvirates, and so on. Or whether we wanted to give focus to some of the different faces of death. So right now, the idea is going to be that come the family reunion, that's what we're proposing calling it, where the different... Uh, bloodlines and clans of death come together and form a pact. Uh, will it be the Giovanni, the Cappadocians, and the Samdi? Or are we thinking of the Giovanni, Cappadocians, and Lamia? Maybe even the Giovanni, Harbingers, and Samdi? We don't know yet. We do just don't know. It's something that we are batting around and may get changed during the creative process. I know White will have some opinions on this too. Uh, so I'm really interested to see what Jacob and John come up with there. Uh, I'm already seeing the drafts. Drafts are already coming in, uh, and this is another one of those fantastic things. When writers are so enthusiastic about the work, they don't just turn in the work quickly, but they turn in high-quality work quickly. Because most writers, here's a tip to you writers listening, uh, a lot of very good writers will start off with what, is often called a zero draft. They'll put all their ideas down, it'll be in a sensible order, so after their initial structuring, brainstorming and whatnot, they'll put their ideas down, it's a zero draft, they're not going to submit it. Then they review it, and the best way to review something is to read it aloud. I know that may be painful, but it is really the best way to review something, because you will not pick up on a sentence being unreadable unless you read it. And if you've written it, and you just read it in your head, you're going to read it as you wrote it, which is tends to be in your voice, and that's fine. But when you read it aloud, it comes out more natural. And in this case, we've had a few drafts in already that are looking fantastic. I've had uh, Emily Griggs's work in for Mortal Cults, and the work she has done... Really, uh, again, high praise for Emily on this because she has come up with a lot of faiths for this book that are brand new for Vampire the Masquerade based around mortals worshipping vampires or vampires setting up religions with them at the head or them in the background. Uh, there's even a rather fantastic one where the Second Inquisition are preying on a 
well, on the idea of a vampire cult, they have set one up. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, some really nice ideas from some of our newer authors here, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to think about Mortal Cults when it goes out in the manuscript, because I think, again, the idea is to get this book kick-started. I'm going to look like a complete idiot if it doesn't. Uh, I should say at this point in recording, where do I think the Kickstarter is going to end up? Because Chicago by Night ended up around 120,000, and it had a very nice number of backers. It exceeded 1,000 backers. Do I think Cults of the Blood Gods is going to do as well as Chicago by Night? So I'm sort of gambling with myself here, and again, it's a good opportunity for me to look stupid. But... <laughs> I'm going to base this on a few things. That Chicago by Night is a tried and tested book. It has the La Sombra in, who historically have been far more popular than the Giovanni and the Cappadocians. So I think Chicago by Night will do better somewhat. I know that there are going to be other companies making V5 books as well this year. So that means uh, Cults of the Blood Gods will have a lot more competition than Chicago by Night did when that was kick-started. So that may mean a greater drain or pull on people's pounds and dollars and euro. So I think we may, if we're very lucky by the end of the Kickstarter, hit $100,000. If we're lucky. But I think... This subject matter is going to be this subject matter is going to be an interesting one to see how it lands. Again, this is wholly new uh, for Vampire the Masquerade, so yeah, we will see what happens. I will get back online and recording, uh, although I am online every day, admittedly, when I do the red lines. I am wading through red lines. The blood is thick in this blood of the blood bloods. Hey, lots and lots of red. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that may sound overly critical, but it's not. A developer expects to have red lines when doing red lines, or expects to deliver red lines quite thickly, quite directorially. It's not always pleasant doing it, I will admit. Uh, because sometimes you have to tear apart something that the writers absolutely loved writing, and it's one of those risks of freelancing for someone else's property that your work isn't always going to stand up to the test of the developer, the publisher, and any other interested licensing party. Uh, but yeah, some of the drafts for this book have been redline intensive, some have not. I'll give an example. Probably the chapter that has required the greatest number of redlines is the Kindred Religions one, which isn't a surprise, because Kindred Religions is the chapter that has the greatest word count at this point, and it also has the largest number of writers on. We've got different writers covering things like the Church of Cain, used to be the Cainite Heresy, the Bihari, so that's the Lilith cult, the Church of Set. I have managed to get the Church of Set in. Now, it wasn't initially my intention to have the Church of Set in this book. It was something of a late edition, and we managed to pry word count from elsewhere so we could get the Church of Set written up. There's a tidbit of information for you. And I'm really happy with how it's gone, but 
there's a whole bunch of other cults in here too. From I think we've got the Nephilim, the cult of Shalim, we've got the Mithraists, we have, uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, we have Los Hijos to Sea, which is a brand new one, uh, and the, those are the um, worshippers of the moon, a moon goddess, an Incan moon goddess, if memory serves. Now, here's some of the changes we have to make. Uh, for instance, I'll take the Church of Set as an example. The Church of Set is a brilliantly written religion. Very happy with how the writer managed to turn this draft around with only about two weeks left on first drafts. Uh, far less time than anyone else, but again, word count was migrated from elsewhere. But this draft reads like something from clan book Setite Revised. That's not a bad thing. I would say that's one of the best clan books. But one of the things Clan Book Setite Revised does is talk an awful lot about hierarchy, talks an awful lot about history and mythology, does not talk an awful lot about night-to-night practice. And we've got the same kind of thing here, where it's less about dogma, less about, uh, I guess, ritual, more about structure, more about set, more about his hierophants, and it doesn't translate into a usable product it's brilliantly written, and this is one of those interesting things. Again, as a developer, you find sometimes a writer is going to write their best work, absolutely fantastic work that flows on the page, but to my taste as a developer, my design philosophy, if it can be called that, if you can't use it at the table, and I mean that as a player, not just as a storyteller, then it serves a limited use for the word count given. I can introduce a couple of paragraphs of flavour text that act as historical context, and that should do it. What I shouldn't have to do is dedicate an entire section to a religion, which is almost all flavour text. Again, this isn't a criticism uh, so much as this is advice I'm giving in red lines. It's advice I'm giving to any writers listening as well. You may have the most fantastic backstory in the world for your bloodline, your clan, your subsect, or whatever it is you're writing. But if it isn't immediately playable, then this is the kind of thing I'm going to find in a, in a scroll and treasure chest in a chronicle dedicated to excavating the past of this religion. This isn't something that the average vampire on the street is going to know, do, practice, or believe in. So that's one element of red lines. Uh, another one is our Church of Cain. So, again, this is a really well-written church, and in fact, or cult, and I should, in fact, give time and space over to the, fact the same writer wrote up the Ashfinders. And I, I, I'll name this writer because he is a really good worker. Really good. He's a rising star, I would say, on Path because his work has just been getting better by leaps and bounds. It's a fellow by the name of Mike Tomasek, and he contributed to Chicago by Night as well, wrote the Chicago chapter with the homesteading system. And his Ashfinders cult is really on the money. That's exactly what I need. The Ashfinders are essentially blood junkies. They are, well, ash junkies, I should say. They are dedicated to harvesting the remains of fallen elders, consuming them in a narcotic-like paste, through Thin Blood Alchemy, and reliving the memories and exerting the powers of the deceased vampires. That's really good to me. It feels like V5 because it's a bit street level, it's a bit grimy, a, gr a bit greasy. 
But we have the Church of Cain as well, and I happen to know that the writer Mike is a big fan of the Church of Cain from a Sabbat perspective. He loves his Sabbat, he loves his Nodists. The main issue is the Nodists of the Church of Cain, and this is a terminology issue that I wasn't clear enough on as a developer in the outline, in my meetings. The Sabbat Church of Cain or basically the ecclesiastical structure of the Sabbat, is not the same as the Cainite heresy, which is what needs to be in this book. Our issue is that the Sabbats cannot be in cults of the blood gods, and the writer, Mike, was not truly aware of this, I feel, or he didn't pick up on it, or I wasn't, uh, I guess, pointed enough on the subject that the Sabbats cannot be in this book. We are not going to be detailing the beliefs of the Sabbat, because the Sabbat themselves have not been profiled yet. So where does that leave us? We end up with a religion in this book that is largely Sabbat-focused. It covers Rite, or Rite, if you want. It covers the Voldery, it has firewalking, it has uh, all the religious titles of the Sabbat as well within it. And again can't fault Mike's writing. It's evocative, and this is playable as well. I cannot say any more strongly that this is incredibly playable material. I could play it, I could run it, and it's really readable. But it's not the content that this book requires. This book requires cults outside of the Sabbat. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with the Church of Cain being the Cainite heresy, which was the original objective. Cainite heresy is not the same Cainite church that exists in the Sabbat. Whereas the Sabbat are more Catholic, the heresy is more Gnostic. We need to angle more toward that Gnosticism. So I'm going to be leaving fairly heavy red lines of direction. I'll be having meetings with some of these writers to redirect them uh, on how they need to be reworking their work. There's red lines like this throughout the book, and this happens all the time. Uh, I'm by no means critical, I know it sounds like I'm covering myself, I'm by no means critical of the writing quality because the entirety of this book has been written excellent quality. Another kudos to Jacqueline Brick for some fantastically sensitive uh, cult-focused material on how people get indoctrinated into cults. But I am having to be the director here, because it's my job as the developer to say, nope, this is where it needs to be angled. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to terminate this mini recording, and I'll come back once final drafts are turned in. Hello, back again, final drafts. Uh, it's been probably about four, no, three, three or four months since we started these design diaries and everything's been going pretty much to schedule honestly i've been very pleased with the writer's work i'm very happy very very happy indeed with how well everyone's been getting on and now that all the final drafts are in with nothing remarkably delayed uh, or needing a major rewrite i have to say that i am really happy with how this book looks it hits the target. It does what we need, and we've even got a little bit of word count to spare, so I'll see what I can do with that. I am going to uh, spend some of that word count myself, in fact, because I 
am the writer of the Hecata, some of the Cults of Death and Undeath chapter, and the Hecata Discipline of Oblivion. But knowing I've got a few more words to play with, I could add some more powers for them. I could add some powers for the other religions in the game. That's an idea. Because while the writers, uh, so for instance Mike, who I mentioned in the last recording, has written up some powers for the Church of Cain, very few of the other cults in this book have got any powers specific to them. So I think I'm going to make some powers up. I think I may make some powers for the Mithraists, I may make some powers for the Bahari, for the Church of Sets, that sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, now I'm in development phase, and in development what that requires is I read everyone's work again, I make sure that it's all consistent, that it flows into each other, it doesn't feel all odd and disparate and by different writers, and... Once I'm happy with it, and once I'm happy that I've hit the word count or cut it down to word count, I send it off to White Wolf for approval to make sure they're happy with it. If they are, well, from that point, we start getting it edited and getting art commissioned for it. It should be as simple as that. So, with the Kickstarter coming thereafter. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really happy with how this book has gone. It's been relatively trouble-free, uh, some of the writers, as, and I again say that I say this with no uh, mean to insult. Some writers were unhappy with the red lines they were given. Uh, some were perfectly happy. Some took it as con entirely constructive. Some feel hurt by it. That happens on pretty much every project. I'll be honest, and I don't, I don't feel. Like, it's an admonishment to call it out. It's very difficult to have work you've laboured over, especially when you loved that work, uh, be criticised and be told where the flaws might be, at least from this one person's opinion. But that is part of the job. And all you can really hope for is that uh, you, you've got a developer who is happy to provide you with constructive feedback, tell you how to change and improve in future, and you've got a writer who is receptive to that kind of feedback and doesn't just think, yeah, you know what, fuck it, I'm not working for them again. So it's uh, always interesting, delivering red lines back, seeing how people work their final drafts. I've developed a book before where a writer was given their red lines and then completely ignored them and still delivered a final draft that was closer to their first draft than any redlined first draft, and that was very disappointing. That hasn't happened in this case. But I know that there are some chapters that I am still going to have to rework myself. There are some redlines that have been missed, it seems, or maybe even ignored, and that's a bit irritating. But again, par for the course when you've got a book this big, it happens. And I just make a mental note, or I will more or less address it with the writers and ask why was this missed. Uh, the problem is when it comes to development stage as it is now, if a writer has ignored red lines, what happens, or missed red lines I should say, given them the benefit of the doubt, uh, the worst kind of thing is when they leave a comment in the margin and say, I would love to discuss this with you. If I leave a comment that says something like, does this make sense? And they respond with, 
it does to me, that isn't um, that isn't helpful. Maybe my question in the first place wasn't helpful, but they're leaving it to development phase for me to question it with them. What writers should be doing if they aren't happy with a red line or if they've got a red line to query is they should come to me during their final draft. They shouldn't wait for me to read their comments in the margin, and they know I'm not going to be able to see their draft until they submit it as a final. So, yeah. That's a pet peeve of mine. Writers, if you have a question for your developer, don't leave it until it's in development phase for them to answer it. <laughs> Ask it to them. That's why you're on Slack. It's why you've got my email. So that told you. Right, I'm going to be back on here once I've done some development. I have returned to reap my wangi. Development is pretty much concluded. This one took a fair amount of time to develop because it was a big old book. And there's a lot of powers in it, a lot of system to go along with the setting. And as I mentioned before, the setting has to all be consistent. Any references have to make sense to each other. And also, I have to say... Again, I didn't give this writer much credit earlier, or enough credit earlier. Rachel Wilkinson, who wrote the story in the back of this book, really fantastic Hecata Chronicle, just incredibly enjoyable, set in the city of Munich, which hasn't been covered before in the World of Darkness, to my knowledge. And it establishes a new hierarchy, it establishes what the Hecata are doing there, a new minor family of the Hecata as well, the Giovanni. And some nice connections to events of the Giovanni Chronicles. So yeah, very pleased with how this development process has gone. I mentioned in the last design diary entry that I was going to consider making a uh, making some new powers, and I did, for each of the cults, uh, most of the major cults, and where cults didn't have powers, I've given them coterie types or predator types or merits and flaws, that kind of thing. So every major cult introduced in this book has got something mechanical, because people like mechanics. A lot of players like mechanics. They like something that on their character sheet feels distinct from the character who's not in this cult. So now you've got it. I know, I know, players are going to be using these powers, whether they're members of these cults or not, or whether they're characters are, I should say. But that doesn't matter. What is good is it adds to the level of flavour, and also adds to the usability. And as I mentioned, I think, in an earlier one of these, utility is a prime objective of any book that I develop. So now I'm going to submit it to White Wolf. And we're going to see what they think. Bad news. White Wolf hate it. No, not really. <laughs> I, I listened back to the last design diary just to uh, just to set that one up. Uh, I uh, was really pleased with Karim's feedback on Cults of the Blood Gods. So an interesting thing has been happening while Cults of the Blood Gods has been in development and then in approvals in the background. Modifius are now on the scene and they are moving ahead with their V5 books. But in future, it's proposed that Modifius is going to be approving our work. Now, because Cults of the Blood Gods was started up before they came on, as I guess you could call them primary licensee, uh, White Wolf are going to continue approving the manuscript for this. I'm not going to be sending it over to the Modifius team to read it all from scratch when they haven't seen the outline. 
honestly, I feel like because I've been having a, a frequent exchange with Karim Omar at uh, White Wolf Paradox about this book since its inception, it makes sense that he is the person that approves it. And thankfully he has, barring some exceptions. Uh, Karim always goes through the draft and makes comments throughout, and then we'll have a meeting, we'll discuss. And here's some of the main discussion points. Well, he wanted the fucking Putanesca changed to the criminal Putanesca. So that's the main one. Right now, uh, in Karim's mind, and I agree with these, by the way, these uh, these are these criticisms are constructive, and I think they're completely on point, and it makes sense given that he has full sight of Vampire the Masquerade as a brand. Uh, for instance, the Bahari right now, there's no real darkness to them. Uh, I'm really happy with how the Bahari are written, but they have a little too much of a good vampire guys going on so there needs to be more emphasis in the text to the deprivations that they practice the way the places they sink to and the i guess darker side of the kind of avenging angel stuff that they do abuse begets abuse so that's something to add he feels like the mithraists are a little too egalitarian uh, and I agree, because as they are being set up, I'm seeing more and more contrast between the Mithraists and the Church of Set, with Church of Set being a chaos cult, Mithraists being a law cult, uh, one being very much about individual freedom, liberty, and all that fun stuff, with the other being all about in well voluntary servitude in exchange for a gift from master a title and a place in this world. Some people crave freedom, some people claim uh, crave structure, and that's the big divide between these two cults. So that divide needs to be honed, and that's what a part of what I will be doing. Uh, additionally, Karim wants us to add a bit of word count, using some of the spare words I had left, uh, to profile some minor cults. And that involves uh, writing up some of the cults that we we teased in, I think it was the Camarilla book for V5. It was a book I co-wrote. Uh, I wrote the good stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> but that means covering the Amaranthans. I think the Menelaeans were in there, the Eyes of Malachi. And that's good, you know, looking forward to that. So that that's new work for me. Uh, anything Karim is suggesting is stuff I'm not going to get the writers back on board to make amendments for. It's stuff I will be changing up myself. And I like having the opportunity to just go a bit freeform and write some material. I know my work is going to be edited in the end, so it's, it's good for me to have a bit of creativity. Uh, also... I was very pleased to see that Karim was incredibly happy with my work on the Hecata and on the, uh, the Discipline of Oblivion, so thumbs up for that. One addition he has made that I think is a fantastic thought is making Oblivion ceremonies, that's their version of rituals, have power prerequisites. This makes them distinct from blood sorcery rituals. The reason being, blood sorcery as a discipline is pretty potent. And blood sorcery rituals, although situational, are likewise potent. Uh, but they're at that sort of moderate potency level. Oblivion, 
There are Oblivion powers that are pretty powerful, some of them very La Sombra focused in Chicago by Night. There are Oblivion powers that aren't, that are incredibly situational, you're not going to be using them much unless you're a very focused necromancer type. So how about making Oblivion ceremonies that are very powerful require that you learn the weaker Oblivion power in order to access them? So it discourages La Sombra from learning these powers because it's unlikely they're going to want to, but it encourages Hecata to do it because they're not going to be able to access those lovely Oblivion ceremonies without accessing the powers first. So it's essentially building a bedrock. I really like that, so that's something I'm going to be playing around with a fair amount. I guess the biggest cut that is going to be made, that I don't mind mentioning, is uh, to Dale Andrade's Los Hijos de Sea. Uh, this was a cult that was presented in a major way in this book, but has sadly been um, cut down. It's always a shame when you see work being cut down to, uh, to meet uh, any reason, but I am fully aware of the reason, and sadly, while I can't go into it in this... Uh, podcast, I know that sometimes when the licensor, in this case uh, Paradox, has a vision or is aware of a video game being made, a board game being made, a card game being made, or any other property being made that might make the content that you've just written moot or unusable, it means that that content has to be changed or tapered down. In this case, it had to be tapered down just because it would run in conflict and contradict material that is coming out elsewhere uh, that's kind of gazumped us. And that's a shame, but I know Dale will understand as a writer, and I know the fans will understand too. It's just one of those necessary things, and that word count is still being used. It's just not being used on that. So there you go, you have a bit of insight into material being cut due to necessity. There was no material that Paradox disliked, which is always nice to know. Uh, they just sometimes require changes to meet the tone, meet the vision, or sometimes provide connectivity to other products that are coming. So there you go. So I'm going to make those changes, and then hopefully we're going to get this book off to editing and art. I suspect this will be my final design diary. I'm not going to confirm the date <laughs> or time. Uh, so we've been waiting a little while now for the Kickstarter launch for this book. And it's very exciting. I'm very, very excited to see this one come. We've got the art. With The book is being edited right now. has been for a while. And uh, Paradox have given us the sign-off on the manuscript. But just due to the way that the structure of this book has taken, or the process flow, if you like, uh, between Onyx Path, Modifius, Paradox. Uh, there's a few obstacles in our way, uh, boxes that need to be ticked before we can launch the Kickstarter, get this book on sale, or anything like that. So we may be waiting a while, which is always a bit unfortunate, but it does mean I can refocus my attention elsewhere, and hopefully it will be on Kickstarter by the end of the year. I shall update you.
So yeah, uh, I think I said in the last one that that will be my last uh, design diary. It wasn't, but this one will be, because now the Kickstarter has been launched, and as of time of recording, we funded within an hour. Wow, that is impressive. We are going gangbusters. I didn't imagine we would do so well so quickly, especially in the month uh, that we are in uh, of December. It's the holidays. People are usually quite tight with their money, and uh, expectedly so. But yeah, we've exceeded my expectations rapidly. We're already well on course to funding an entire stretch goal source book. And, the, and more is yet to come. I do hope this design diary has been interesting for you. I do hope that it's provided you with some insights and peeks behind the curtain. Some secrets and lies and truths about cults of the blood gods. Uh, and yeah, it's always fun developing a book like this. It's always fun developing a Vampire the Masquerade book because I love Vampire. The writers I hire all have a vested interest in these books doing incredibly well. I'm so proud of the team on this one. I'm so proud of not just the writers, but also the editor, Brian Johnson, who's relatively new to us. Uh, he's done a brilliant job, and of the artists whose art is currently on display on the Kickstarter uh, that include, but I'm probably going to miss some of them out, uh, Mark Kelly, Sam Denmark, uh, Michael Gados, uh, and, and more. There are more, but yeah... Please do check out the Kickstarter if you haven't already. Just type in Cults of the Blood Gods on Google and it will come up. And thank you very, very much for listening to this design diary. I wonder how long it will actually take. And so I'm guessing it's going to be close to an hour. So I'll have to make sure Eddie, Dixie and I do a very short intro and outro. Bye-bye. You still there? Good. I'm not. The I left. Design. <laughs> okay. That is that is a lot of magic uh, in one space. <laughs> it was. You know, you can pretend you listened to it if you like, but uh, I know you didn't. <laughs> I didn't yet. <laughs> the, the, Doesn't mean I won't. Well, the wonderful thing is, listeners, that uh, I haven't sent the audio for the design diary to Eddie and Dixie, so they may now say it was the most fantastic design diary they've ever heard. But I could be being absolutely outrageous and horrible in it. So, Eddie, what did you I think? I really loved all the rules about changelings you talked about in that design diary. I thought it was very poignant and uh, uh, weirdly odd for a vampire book, but, you know, you made it work. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, that, that's on point. What about you, Dixie? I mean, you definitely made some some bold decisions throughout Cults of the Blood Gods that uh, didn't, didn't know White Wolf would go for him, but you got them all in. So that'll be fun when that last chapter drops. That is Ooh. a wonderfully nebulous piece of feedback uh, that, that tells me you've been in many conversations with me before where you've not listened to a word I've said, but you've known exactly what to say to make me think that you have. <laughs> well, revelations coming out now for the new year. So did you make any bold I decisions mean, on that book? <laughs> you make nothing but bold decisions. No, uh, it was I slept, sleepwalked, sleptwalked, slept, 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 slept <laughs> I, I slept. Yes, I sleep neared my way through uh, cults of the blood gods. It's confirmed uh, here, folks. Matthew has eight legs. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bold decision. I will admit. <laughs>
Hmm. Uh, what was the boldest decision on Cults of the Blood Gods? Um, that's a good question. Probably what we did with the Hecata in general, uh, changing the Clan of Death up to incorporate so many different faces of uh, death. I guess it did seem like the, of the community was first a little kind of surprised by that because they're just so used to what we're now calling Hakata being a clan, a clan that died and a whole bunch of bloodlines scattered throughout the property. And so kind of pulling them all together and unifying them certainly is, is a, a different take on things. So I think that actually is a valid decision in calling it bold because I mean, it, it makes sense for new people who don't have 25 years of history. It's like the necromancers, they're one clan they're over there. That makes sense. Um, but that's not actually how it's been done really ever in the property. So, well, it's it's an odd thing, isn't it? Because the Giovanni, despite never being the most liked of clans in the fan base, uh, is probably the clan with the thickest meta plot mm-hmm. uh, links oh, yeah. of, of any clan, more so even than the Tremere, I would say, because the Salubri were never really presented as a major playable option, whereas the Cappadocians were in Vampire the Dark Ages. So everything and the Tremere indeed never had a four part series of chronicle books whereas the Giovanni did Uh, and with that comes an awful lot of baggage as you say uh, rebranding them essentially moving them forward slightly in the meta plot to make them make sense in the modern era without so much of that meta plot baggage means that they're more accessible new players will look at them and they won't think shit I've got to read up on these to understand why the Giovanni don't like these people it's all still there of course but it's no longer an integral part of the clan structure right now it's a cool little flavor you can dig into if you want to but otherwise it's like I'm a Hakata I do Hakata things cool go a lot of people seem to really dig your uh, fiction too Eddie oh really cool thank you yeah there was a lot of discussion about it, how it was, it was excellent and also twisted and ended the way they wanted it to. And I think because so many people associate you with Pugmire now, I, it's it's weird how many people seem to not realize that you are a horror writer <laughs> and that you were a horror writer for a long time. It's, it's actually true. I, I have run into that a few times because like um, uh, a couple of times Meredith, like, like I wrote a, a, a short story in the Promethean uh, anthology, and Meredith, right. has, Meredith Gerber has told a lot of people that's her favorite story, and so people, oh, I'll go look into it. I know Eddie's work from Pugmire. I'll go look at this story about a woman being taken across state against her will. What? No, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, was my, that was my bread and butter. And then for this, I was like, yeah, it's the same thing. I was like, I wanted to, Matthew's like, I want you to, yeah, I think it was you wanted you wanted uh, uh, sex, violence, and family politics in there. It's like cool, done. It's all there, and yeah. then people are like, "Oh my god, it has what?" You know. So I mean, I'm glad people dug it because it was it was it was fun to write, honestly. Yeah, it was it was good. I I read it when it got thrown out as the update, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. But pe- people in the Discord and a lot of the comments seemed to really really dig it. So that was a cool part for me too. I always like seeing all of us kind of collaborate together. Although I I did not work on cults at all, so I'm not on this book, sadly. No, I was sad, but uh, but Brian, our editor for this book, did do a very good job. Uh, so we'll credit him. Editors never get enough credit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, shout out Brian yeah, Johnson. Think... You're great. Uh, you're going to be yeah. Folks are going to be seeing his name in a few books coming up because uh, he's done a few projects for me recently. 
And I'd also like to shout out to a whole bunch of the podcasts that have really been hammering home the Cults of the Blood Gods Kickstarter ongoing right now. I'll miss some of them, I'm sure. Uh, but the Polyhedron podcast, the Story Told podcast, Gehenna Gaming, uh, Red Moon Roleplaying, of course, Outstar on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, th- so many people are enthusiastic about this book, and that's really gratifying not just to me as the developer, but to the to all of the team on it and Onyx Path in general. Uh, it's it's lovely to hear and see people having so much faith in our work and appreciating it again as it's being released uh, section by section. So yeah, thank you very much, everyone who is uh, showing such enthusiasm for this book. It's it's really appreciated. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I shouldn't keep the both of you from getting ready for your various parties. Uh, I'm obviously going to be bedding down with uh, Leon Trotsky <laughs> for the night. Bed with the red. Uh, yeah, so so let's see how how I'm feeling come 2020 about the state of things. Twenty Trotsky. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eddie. Uh, if people want to find you online, where should they look? Um, you can find just about anything involving my professional stuff at uh, pugsteady.com. There I have a list of all the stuff I've worked on as well as linked to all my social media accounts. And what about you, Dixie? You can find me at DixieCochran.com or DixieCyanide on all social media. Um, some folks might know I just recently set up my Twitch stream. It's very casual for right now if I do anything on there. But uh, if you want to see what I may eventually do on Twitch, it might be something weird, might be something fun. I don't know. Uh, feel free to throw me a follow on there, too. But that's all at DixieCyanide. And they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com, and they can, of course, always find the bunch of us on the Onyx Path Discord, the Onyx Path Forums, the OnyxPath.com, and anywhere else Onyx Path brands its name. Uh, maybe you will be seeing us next week at Midwinter Gaming Convention in Milwaukee, and uh, if you do, I uh, will be more than happy for you to buy us all drinks <laughs> and tell us how much you love the podcast. <laughs> and if you hate the podcast, <laughs> or, don't, don't talk to us, don't buy us drinks. <laughs> yeah, don't, just don't bother, don't bother. We don't yeah. need your negative feedback. <laughs> we don't need constructive criticism. We know where we're going, and it's right to episode 100. We'll get there, damn it. <laughs> we're doing it, we're doing it. Yeah, we've been doing it every single week. That's We're doing pretty damn well without interruption, yeah, aren't absolutely. we? absolutely. It's been, it's been sometimes challenging, but we've managed to do it, and it's, it helps that it's been fun to actually... The process has been always been enjoyable with you guys, so that certainly helps get us to 100. Ah, well, well, this prediction. Well, a happy 2019. <laughs> well, you know what? I was going to be all nice. <laughs> this is episode 85. We're really close. Yeah. <laughs> Feels. I feel like I'm 85 at this point. Anyway, many worlds. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Many worlds, one podcast. <laughs>